0: until the sponsorship deal kicks in yeah. gotta show up to work.
1: I'm sure that we'll find lots of people that are interested in putting mm. their money behind whatever just happened. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh economics come <laughs> say
1: oh amazing
0: um I, I think that was from Selena they were because they're they're about to shut down their their restaurant
1: <laughs> I remember and, um, I you know what you were the one that uh, got me to watch that movie i enjoy it very much even to this day but i (laughs) I would not have watched it had it not been for you
0: the um there's a netflix series that came out that was that was fine it uh it covered a few different things that went into some different details and in tangents and whatnot so uh but i don't know i just i guess the movie was just the first thing that i latched on to um re selena
1: RIP. I used to was. I remember hearing about that, hearing the news of her murder at the GNC at Bassett Center. Oh yeah. I I have a feel. Don't don't I remember that you and I heard the news about Kurt Cobain's death, uh, in your car, dicking around, some in Park Mall. Maybe after school. I feel like we left school early. And went to Summon Park Mall for some reason.
0: <laughs> um, you know, dude, two wild at heart kids that just, you know.
1: Can't wait to buy a Fugazi <laughs> CD and a Slurpee. <laughs> Go to the west side of El Paso. Yeah.
0: You know that. <laughs> it
1: was like a vacation.
0: I told you. Uh, I like
1: you're going to a different land.
0: I don't know if I told you, but um, a friend of mine, well, th- I've, I've mentioned him on the podcast, But Jeremiah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he he's mentioned that he, is, uh, he has a fascination with the like, late 80s, early 90s architecture. Okay. And uh, as, soon, as soon as we have him on the podcast, I'm sure he'll talk about this, but Um, you know, it pointed out to me, I'm like, oh, buddy, do I have a place for you in mind? (laughs) Because I immediately thought of Sunland Park Mall, because there's nothing, no structure in El Paso represents late 80s, early 90s like that place.
1: Yeah, it's of the time. It absolutely (laughs) is of the time. I see it and I think of pastel blues and pinks um, or turquoise and pinks, more like like turquoise and pinks. And yeah, yeah, just Boxy, I everything mean, boxy, and mm-hmm. and very late eighties, early nineties.
0: And glass in the ceiling. What? <laughs>
1: Cocaine bricks. Goddamn things! <laughs> yeah. I see those and I just think there's a line of cocaine somewhere nearby. Oh, they, there is. Became, they became bricks of cocaine in my head because those are the dots that were connected just on autopilot. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking, every time I see those glass bricks, I just think of cocaine.
0: Well, and that's a whole like it's a constant Easter bunny and cocaine vibe in there. Anyway, just like <laughs> the pastel, like you said, the pastels, like those cups that had that that. You know, design, like oh, paint yeah. splash design. Oh
1: yeah.
0: Anyway, um so far yeah, removed so... from
1: Saved by the Bell, but it's <laughs> it's a, it gives me a saved, saved by the bell vibe.
0: Yep. Um so yeah, uh this this uh welcome everyone. <laughs> sorry, we got into a whole big mm-hmm. uh pre-bit bit nostalgia bit party that um <laughs> welcome to Fairweather Friends. Uh, sorry we've been uh uh, held up a little bit uh but we uh you know life and what have you um those things happen but we're we're glad to be back joining me as often as uh he's able to and graciously able to uh john lloyd is with oh, us again God. hello hello um how uh, how are you doing today
1: uh i'm good
0: yeah it's a sunny
1: day. In February in Seattle, and that is always a treasure. So uh, yeah, it's lovely. I'm in a good mood. Uh, I mean, I'm in a good mood as as good a mood as you can considering the the stressors of the world. Yeah, living in crazy times and all. But yeah, it's a good Thank day. I'm feeling pretty. I'm feeling positive.
0: Thankful. Not much has happened in the three-ish weeks or so that uh, since we've since we've been out on an episode. Like wow. Um, I saw a tweet, I think it was uh, there was either I think it was Patton or Matt Oswald. and they were like me as a kid, oh I wonder what it's like um, I wonder what it's like to live through like significant moments in history and then like me as an adult was like, oh fucking god this is terrible
1: <laughs> it, really, it really isn't not great, starting to understand just how placid the 90s and god, even the early 2000s were
0: yeah, yeah that, is, uh... that 20
1: year span was a much more placid time as I'm coming to like consciousness as a human, right? Like these are, these are two decades that really kind of guided where I'm at now pretty significantly. And I realized now, Jesus Christ, There's it felt like so many big things happened. The Republicans stole the election in 2000,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: the fucking Iraq war one and two, the war and terror, uh, but uh, yeah, it didn't feel as completely unhinged as these like significantly uh, historic historical right. times do.
0: So I was talking to a friend of mine and I said, you know, the the amount of shit that has gone on in the past like couple of years, like all these things and similar, similar thing we we're listing at. I was like, and the government like had evidence about UFOs, put it out there. And nobody gave a shit about it. <laughs> I
1: can't. I can't. I mean, I, I'm not one. It's I'm like, not We one got enough on this planet. About... Yeah, I I was not one to get fascinated by aliens and, and stories of UFOs. I was I was definitely interested in like weirdo culty things. Mm-hmm. I, I just it was fascinating to me that people thought they were doing something by worshiping the devil right that kind of stuff those like weird conspiracy fringe stories that i'd hear oh, as a yeah. teenager like those were the ones where it's like wow that's fucking weird you know it, i don't know it felt more relatable i guess to real life than aliens then so there was that other fringed group of people that you'd occasionally come across especially you know, like fucking those weird used bookstores in el paso and uh <laughs> or or like with me i i just have a tendency to i don't know not rub elbows but cross paths that's the word i want um cross paths with just fucking unhinged weirdos um the guy that taught me amp repair was one of them i i don't know there's people just in my life occasionally and they would talk about aliens um and how government's hiding this stuff and kennedy's assassination and um i mean every conspiracy theory you could think of they were Mm -hmm. all like sort of mixed into the regular topics. Um, The alien one, I was like, why is this interesting to anybody? So when this news comes out, oh yeah, it's definitely been hiding this from us for a while, it's probably for our own good, is what I come to think now. Like, I think that's probably good. I don't think that the human race can stand uh, that kind of information. And there's the real world, like it's funny, this is an actual real world uh, story that, you'd think i'd be kind of fascinated with and i'm still like no i don't care fine there were aliens i, I don't
0: <laughs> like, know. okay like add it, add it to the list you know what, what am i gonna do about it um putin's
1: the, the putin's <laughs> urging the ukrainian army to just seize control of the capital mm-hmm. today i think that's something i'm going to worry a lot more about than mm-hmm. aliens hidden in the stars i don't i don't uh, interact with conspiracy theorists anymore thank god But um, I
0: was going to ask. I
1: wonder, I wonder how they feel. How they feel about um, the alien story?
0: Yeah, I know that. Well, that that was. That's a great question. Um, I was also going to ask: Are they still like have the have the topics? Other, in other words, are they still following the same types of conspiracies, or are these the people that have like evolved their conspiracies into the? you know, like the, the pedophilia dungeon and the pizza place, you know, are they, yeah. are they the QAnon folks now or the HN and, and all those, or are we still talking, is it a Venn diagram thing? Like, you know?
1: I don't know. I don't know. I mean, my, my dad was, my dad will be a, a character in today's episode for sure. Uh, we're mm-hmm. going to be talking about fear of a black planet later. Oh, um, yeah. My dad was definitely a conspiracy theorist. Um, there were always these older white men in my life that they'd shop at the vitamin store I worked at and start up a conversation about how the government's drugging our food and you have to eat, take all your vitamins or you'll die. It was those fucking weirdos. Um, kind of going into guitar stores or pawn shops, I'd always find some older um, weathered white guy that would just like, oh, you like that amp too? And I'd say, yeah, they're cool. And they're like, that's great. Did you know that Kennedy was assassinated by the CIA? And I'm, I'm such a social, you know, I have a hard time hurting. I perceive that I'm just going to hurt their feelings and make them feel bad about themselves if I roll my eyes and walk away. So I let somebody talk, which is not a great idea. And I've learned to stop being so open to that. But as a kid, we like 16 we're like uh-huh wow uh-huh wow oh my god tell me more i, I didn't i wasn't like interested in the stories but they would mm-hmm. just sort of they just fill you up when they'd start and so uh i don't know i guess where was i going with this oh i don't know like all of those stories were always so fucking weird there were i remember hearing stories of sex cults um mm-hmm. and using uh pedophilia to i don't know like create magic with, right i don't know yeah. so i knew that there's discussions of that and and in those like sort of fringe communities but i didn't really pay attention to details i thought i found it kind of entertaining that these people were so fucking out there and lost in their own heads um i'm i, I haven't as an adult interacted with those weirdos anywhere because i stopped going to pawn shops to look for old ads i stopped going to record stores and looking for old records on a regular basis yeah and also i i think i put out a more uh, i think i put out a more hateful vibe in public than i did as a doughy 16 year old but i don't know what these people believe anymore i think they don't think of these as conspiracies i think they think of them as fact i mean this is i'm not breaking any news here that's obvious but I don't know. I think that there, I, my gut tells me I have nothing to base this on, but my gut tells me that how crazy the old white man, conspiracy theorist weirdos that I had interacted with in the past um, would have completely put aside all of those stories because I think they knew there was something made up and, and, and fictitional in it about it because they could see, they, I think they can see the, current state of the world as the evidence that they need that there are real conspiracies going on now and they have to latch on to that and there's not I don't think there are And I don't know it's fucking overwhelming (laughs) the whole thing is overwhelming
0: I don't know I think uh it's there there's a lot to that and uh you know I, I think there is a maybe a common personality type that tends to get into those. So the, the I I tend to think they're more people that are, you know, either straight up antisocial or or just, mm-hmm. you know, don't have a, a big network. And so it kind of so what do what do people that are very social do? I mean they they gossip like we spill the tea, like we do, mm-hmm. I'm not saying I'm not, you know, I'm Mr. Popular or anything, but you know, there is something I think innately human to that. Oh my God, you're never going to believe this but oh yeah and that I kind agree. of story and and it's just you know it's it's entertainment it's it's the wilder the better you know how they say about you know lies the, the more yeah, um, yeah.
1: <laughs> more more titillating right they, the the truer they feel to people that are open to it yeah I, I think you're right there's a it's a, it's like it's a it starts off as a desperate grab at human connection um, because all of these people like the guy that I learned prepare from is a great example. I took my amp there once to get fixed and he just, I don't know, he just decided he's going to do it. Hey, you know all of these crazy things are true? And I just humored him. Wow. That's mm-hmm. cool. If you're working on my amp, I kind of just want to take my amp and leave, but I'm there for what should be 15, 20 minutes turns into two hours. And, and then I'm, you know, it's clear to me in that moment, or let me put it in the past tense, it was clear to me in that moment, even back then, that oh, this person is just so supremely lonely. And this is the only thing that their isolated brain has been just rolling over at infinitum in its fucking head. It's the only thing we could talk about. And I felt a certain kind of empathy for him. Mm-hmm. This guy is so fucking lonely. And he's like, I'll teach you how to fix all these amps. And I thought, oh, shit, I want to do that. Yeah, so I'll <laughs> fucking come over more. Fuck, and man, I just had to listen to all of the stories, and they got increasingly crazier and crazier. And it comes to realize stockpiling guns and ammunition, and mm-hmm. uh, everybody's going to take his the yeah, at the time it would have been the Clintons that he was raving about. Um, I'm gonna take my guns and my ammo, and you had lots of things to say about black people, lots of things to say about all the Mexicans that he lived around, and how mm-hmm. they didn't deserve to be there in El Paso, and it's just these weird. Like they would get more and more delusional and eventually just cut it out and he would call me how dare you i just poured my heart and soul out like, fuck this is what the empathy got me i tried on a, to on a I landline to... <laughs> no yeah well yeah at the time so this would have been in 2004 so yeah i think we had a landline what at kind the of house?
0: conspiracy theorists is this person using it traceable oh i see yeah
1: (laughs) it was via smoke signals i could read them (laughs) he taught me his secret code Mm -hmm. taught me his secret smoke code you can see from three thousand miles away um he was super upset like how dare you cut out cut me out of your life you're my son motherfucker (laughs) like he really deluded him into thinking that himself into thinking that we were family and that he had given me all of his dark secrets and he hadn't asked for it. He just talked because he didn't have anybody else to talk to but people that were willing to go into the shop and have him fix an old tube amplifier. Um so oh, yeah. I, I mean I think that you know my my gut tells me if they hadn't been in their own head early on, I don't know. I guess the, the lesson is play a little bit of empathy and help them feel like they're connected to the world but don't put Don't put any more effort into it than that because they will suck you dry and then fucking uh, misinterpret your kindness for like full on devotion to their insanity.
0: Um, And I don't know if it's a a what begat what, but when you think of all the tropes of like wise wise teachers and and Jedi's and masters and apprentices and all that other (laughs) stuff, they all kind of have a little bit of that, a little bit of that kookiness. You know, like I'm. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple of, of, of lists that you probably shouldn't see, and if the cops ever ask you, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> yeah, like you I, know, Obi Wan, you know, they're they're all a little, you know, kooky and and recluses, and
1: yeah, I uh, I definitely I definitely don't encourage people to get into the mentor mentee. Um, realm too easily really pick and choose who your mentor is going to be because uh yeah <laughs> when you find those quirk- those quirky situations where you need a mentor and need to be the mentee uh choose wisely because there's some weirdos out there
0: this is the way <laughs> star wars nerd <laughs> um I kind of it I was this. This came up a couple of weeks ago for me, but it was reignited, you know, because of of everything that's going on in Ukraine and all that. But I had this right now
1: reignited. Down. <laughs> reignited. Uh,
0: but when, um, hang on, let me let me pull up my notes here because notes are important. Um, but uh, Biden nominated uh, Ketanji yep. Brown Jackson officially for the Supreme Court of course, you yep. know, making her, hopefully the first black woman um, to serve on the court. And almost immediately, you know, came the, the typical rebuttal from anyone who, you know, is, isn't, doesn't believe they're a racist, but still a racist. Like, why does it have to be about color? Why can't it just be the best qualified person? And so I had that whole idea written down because it was, at the time, uh, this was during the Super Bowl because people were complaining that they they didn't see any white people in the Super Bowl halftime show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. then, I mean, you know, this is just this goes on and on and on and on every time. Um, you know, there's something like this that happens uh, the usually old um, or older uh, angry white man come out and you know, decry, well, reverse racism or whoever. And it's just, even the ones that don't think they're racist. And that's why I am saying that specifically is because when you say something like, well, why don't they just pick the most qualified person like the subtext Mm -hmm. of that and what you may not realize that you believe is that you don't believe that a black woman or a person of color is, would be the most qualified person. Right. Like you just assume uh, that another handout.
1: Yeah. Uh, but the other, the other component of that I find very frustrating is that there is no acknowledgement that color was the basis upon which all of that person's archetypes of who might be the best person for mm-hmm. the job is um, that when you when you seek to recognize a person of color who has achieved status of some kind, well, they got it because of their color. Mm-hmm. But there was also well. This, you're openly racist. You should probably acknowledge that it was because of color that you pre- prevented them from accessing it in the first place. Right. And secondly, for those that don't believe they're racist, um, the archetypes that you're imagining in your brain—that happens. You said, John, imagine a Supreme Court justice. I know the archetype that is in my brain right now.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, that's there because of color.
2: Mm-hmm. That
1: old white man is there because of color. And so there's to for those decriers that think that they're not racist to say, well, it should should be about who did the best job at stuff, not just automatically about color. Well, right. you're saying that because you're comparing this candidate to the candidate that you think should be in there. And the candidate you think should be in there is there because of color exclusively. They meet an archetype. Your brain's drawing a connected tissue between a concept and a figure. And mm-hmm. that's exactly where it went. And it, it's just frustrating. I don't know why I think it's frustrating. I think I said something about humanity being awful, but I don't, nobody seems to get that our brains just draw connections. There's Mm -hmm. just computers that draw connections to stuff. And so when you get angry and emotional and frustrated because a black woman is, is nominated for the Supreme court, it's because it's not syncing up with an automatic connection that your subconscious made. You're fighting with your own brain. It's not Mm -hmm. anything more than that, but people turn it into concepts like race war and times are scary now.
0: Right. And you know, the, the people that are too far gone that are just, you know, blatantly, well, they shouldn't be on Supreme court because I don't, I don't like them for whatever reason. Like they're, mm-hmm. you know, I'm better than them. Okay. You know, that's, that's not a person that, that like, they're angry for a different reason. It's, it's the, you know, the well-meaning people, the devil's advocates and all that stuff and they did mm-hmm. not realizing that they're, they're, they're not helping by, well, let's, uh, <laughs> I just want to play devil's advocate and say well, let's bring up another an alternative angle and dot 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 it's like yeah. no you don't you don't need to do that uh, anyway yeah yeah i don't know get the fuck out I, of I, it, yeah <laughs> say that get the
1: with. fuck out of here Sermon. <laughs> it's just gripes if you put me on there i can't i can't have a focused thought you couldn't pay me a million dollars to have a focused fucking thought on one subject mm-hmm. it all sort of bleeds together like a it's like a spider web
0: so uh <laughs> i'm uh, excited because we're covering a, a a work of music that doesn't have any get the fuck out of here mo- no i'm just kidding um, <laughs> 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 after uh, we'll take a break here real quick but uh, we'll be back and we'll talk about uh, some public enemy all right well uh welcome back uh we are i i forgot totally forgot to mention before this is episode four so uh, <laughs> if you've gotten this far that's where we're at uh, in case you couldn't read it on the on the player but uh this week we are um going to talk about public enemies fear of a black planet Big which record for for me
1: when how did you how did you find the public enemy
0: so, uh, yeah, so specifically,
1: I was... Are, and was it this and was this uh, the first thing you heard from them?
0: Yeah, yes, it was. And uh, so let me let me start off by saying that uh, I don't I don't purport to talk about this album. In other words, I'm going to stay in my lane as I talk about this. album. Like, I, I can't talk about sure. the effect or the impact it had on a community that I'm not a member of. Uh, sure. and I'm sure it's you know, it's going to be riveting for people to hear what two you know, half Mexican, half white guys have to say about a rap album in the 90s. But, uh, but I, I, so a couple of things I want to speak to are just going to be you know, the impact it had on me and and just the the production, like the sound of it, um, were two of the biggest things that I want to talk about. but. Yeah, uh, this was the first record I heard by um, by Public Enemy, and uh, I think this the song I heard was 911 One a Joke." Um, yeah, and uh, you know, so I I picked up the the cassette. That's right.
1: I had the cassette too.
0: Cassette popped it into the. Uh... One thing that immediately struck me was that when I pulled the cassette out, like the liner notes, it was like a. a cheesecake factory menu. I mean, that that was, mm-hmm. you know, it was usually cassette inserts. They may have a couple of folds in there, but I think there was like a, wasn't there a separate insert in there?
1: Um, I remember it being thick. I am um, I'm, I'm, i don't think I'm going to say no to that. I don't remember it, but I remember there being a ton of content in there.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the other, I guess the other, rap that i had listened to up until that point which which wasn't much um was more you know radio friendly like you know the yeah pop pop really is what it is um but I, i knew that i like the style um interested me enough um and i think this is probably my first like directly um socially conscious you know record that that I ever listened to like straight through right.
1: so uh, similarly with hip-hop any rap um at that age I think the aside from the the so the, yeah similarly what I was saying similarly my exposure was just pretty much anything that was radio from like was just kind of beaming in the background everywhere
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and I it didn't it didn't uh uh resonate with me um the first thing that i the first like release that i bought that i was completely fascinated with um that is i'd call it hip-hop uh would be um two Leg crew oh and yeah that record oh, would I make forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. which is really just trash <laughs> it, but <laughs> it it's is. so fun so but you know fun. what i and that that resonated with me i'm not <laughs> too many distinctions beyond that between Public Enemy and 2 Live Crew, that it's just hip-hop of that era. Right. So I think 2 Live Crew was the first thing that made me go, holy shit, I can appreciate a beat and I can mm-hmm. like this. Um, full disclosure of the whole story arc here, I don't really listen to hip-hop or rap now. It's, it's not something that is in my orbit. But mm-hmm. uh, these were the that was the first record that made me sort of appreciate, or for some reason it connected with them, probably just because it's super dirty. And I yeah. thought it was hilarious.
2: <laughs> yeah. I
1: don't even really want to put anything more high minded than that into it. Um, but I appreciated beats. So when Public Enemy came out, and 911 is a joke is definitely the first song that I heard. Um, I don't know how it was in my orbit, like probably at school somewhere. And mm-hmm. that, uh, I think, because I had primed myself to accept something different, right, with Two Life Crew. Um, I was ready to listen to Public Enemy, and the fact that it sounds like a wall of—it's just a wall of sound, mm-hmm. not noise. I almost said wall of noise. It is a wall of sound. Uh, the production, even on that song, which I think is just the kind of simplest, poppiest song on that record. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it is. It's not. I think it is. Um, even that song, which should just be sort of saccharine comparatively, feels like a fucking powerful assault and i i was completely taken with that song and that's what made me go out and buy the record Mm -hmm. and uh and that whole record start to finish i listened to it constantly for a while so i'm going to say whatever whatever a while is to somebody that's like 13 years old
0: yeah two months three months probably i I noticeably wore the tape out um yeah and then you know moved moved on to whatever else i was listening to and eventually bought the cd um
1: it's the only it's the only um record that i purchased like on its own meaning i had bought like collections of stuff from people record collections and it would have some hip-hop in there like oh it's cool i I like nwa i do but um i I didn't i didn't something about nwa didn't sit with me and, and like grab my attention like this particular public enemy day and i and it's so to this day it's the only record that i ever purchased on its own because i want to buy fear of a black planet and
2: um well it's probably
1: it's i'm going to say it's my big my the most positive experience that i've ever had in that genre with that genre
0: yeah i think uh was it do the right thing that um Mm -hmm. fight the power was used prominently yeah okay i thought so
1: so yeah so that that song was there other like big radio hit, mm-hmm. but that I think was I I don't know that I'm right about this. I think that was originally released on as a song on the soundtrack to Do the Right Thing, and then was also put onto Fear of a Black Planet. Uh, I, that's my understanding, and that's that's something that a hip hop friend I, I think that's what he told me. And now that I'm saying this out loud, I'm realizing I don't even know why I would say that I knew anything about this because I don't know that that's true, but mm-hmm. I I feel like I was told. Um, that that technically wasn't part of that record, but was put on it as a yeah, market so. as a marketing. It, it meant to it was meant to drive sales.
0: Well, and they you know, but again, like not not trying to not speak because I can't uh, you know to the impact that that the they intended to have on people. I'll just like my impact. It was it was uh, like the first like punch real punch to the gut about um, things that. I was problems, I guess, that I was not aware of, um, and you know, at, at that age, I mean, I I didn't have the the wherewithal or the capacity to really internalize a lot of that. I mean, I did yeah. it did cause me to ask questions. It's like, huh, you know, well, that's what do you mean? Like, for example, like nine one one is a joke, What what does that mean? And then, of course, now I'm like, oh well, yeah, that that makes total sense. Yeah but at
1: the time at the time it was not widely televised
0: people uh didn't have
1: a means to communicate with each other across the planet in an instant so why would we have had any idea of why nine one one is a joke to somebody
0: and it's not you know it's it's also not without its problems too i mean this is there's there there was a whole thing i was reading reading some of the some of the reviews and like the recaps that came out about it. And I guess there was a whole um, issue before um, the album was released where it was almost like shelved, um, Mm -hmm. disbanded. It was kind of just, you know, like an almost never was kind of thing uh, having to do with some other, there was a lot of issues. And then there was also um, some, some stuff that came up about, potentially um anti-semitic content yep and and i mean there's other stuff in there too and i mean you know hip-hop has a history of being problematic in other ways um but you know it has a history of
1: being portrayed as problematic by right
0: i i I feel like that's the
1: way to phrase that (laughs) because hip-hop itself is just music um that's true you're right specific figures there's specific figures that controversy like i mean i would say Kanye is sparks a lot of controversy these days right um but yeah i it's it's an easy foil and then it being a foil jump in for just a second because so so my dad was a bona fide white supremacist um i used to carry around his clan not i it around i had his clan card here at home i thought it was an interesting relic from a, a long time ago by the time I came into my dad's life by the time I was born he wasn't involved in it anymore but it was always this sort of thing that I was aware of and so I remember when Miles Davis died I was I saw it was on the news
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I said because of because of uh, Mr. G right? Because, yeah. of, and, right because of Mr. G like this is wow this is a big deal right and my dad's response was not kind. And I thought, mm. hmm, and we weren't allowed to watch the Co- the uh, Cosby show as a kid. Oh. Uh, that was that was that was TV for different people. Um, was essentially what and we watched it anyway. Just hid it from him. Right. But but
0: well, that's interesting. This,
1: this record, so hip hop was discussed a lot around my house because it was a concept my dad was he didn't listen he'd never heard any of it but he he would it was easy for his brain to latch onto that and say see this is the devil's music this is what's this you know that heavy metal stuff that's evil too but not like this Mm -hmm. there's such a wide spectrum i remember hearing my dad talk about this and the dis the dissonance between you're saying that this public enemy record is as evil and satanic as two live Crew's album that has me so horny on it Mm-hmm. Right, the, you're, what you're saying is so big and broad that I, can, and it's so specific in it, in its like, demonization that I can't take it seriously. And my dad would I remember I remember at least once I feel like it was more than once, but I think at least once there was a television, there was like the news was on TV and they were talking about hip hop, and my dad is just frothing at the mouth, like how dare these people have an art form. How mm. dare they get have to tick up my my like mental bandwidth when I'm just trying to watch Wheel of Fortune, right? And, and it was uh, so. This was just always this thing that was around, and I knew I had to hide from Black Planet, and I did. And he never, I don't know, he maybe he heard it in the background, but he didn't really know what he was hearing because I don't think he knew what hip hop was. Right. <laughs> I, think my, <laughs> I, think, I think my dad must have thought, well, hip hop must sound like black metal. <laughs> so. Uh, It was around at my house and I listened to it kind of secretively, but every one of those songs, I'm not saying that I'm sentient sage, but every one of those songs as in as angry as they are made perfect sense to me. I kind of understand why you would be the guff. I have to listen to just because Bill Cosby was on TV and uh, you know, (laughs) <laughs> There's issues with Bill Cosby outside of race that oh. we could probably steer clear of, but he was <laughs> he and and the concept of hip hop. We talked a lot about in my house. Um, oh, Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy. Those were two other ones. Um, there nobody liked them, and or nobody was supposed to like them in my house. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad just needed these these simple uh, foils to express his anger about. What, whatever victimization he think he, he had. So um, every one of these songs, like I don't really know the workings of Hollywood. I don't know mm-hmm. the time. Oh, I would not yeah. have spotted at the time. I would not have spotted um, the portrayal of black men in these like baser archetypes within mm-hmm. a show. I would not have placed that as, um, as racist. It would have just been what movie is. Movie is this. I watch movie. Mm-hmm. This I eat movie like it was a very simple sort of engagement, passive engagement with, with movies. But I hear um, fear of a black planet, and a sudden I was starting to it. It engaged my mind in a way that made me say, "Well, I guess why, why is that man? What purpose is this man, this actor who's black, portraying in this movie?" And, and I, I didn't become like a film critic. I'm not that fucking smart. But it made my brain. Film critics are smart. That was a foolish thing to say. They're not all smart. But I'm not trying to sound like I don't want to. Portray, I don't want to put out the idea that I can speak intelligently about cinema. Um, maybe to a certain extent, but not much. If I can, I'm going to say it's because Public Enemy. Um Hollywood, burn the song on Fear of Black Planet, 1989. Um, oh was so fucking powerful It changed the way in which i watched media and it further yeah it it really it really set a fire and to this day it's something that i watch tv even outside of race and not wonder what purpose is this scene serving and what what function is this character adding to the story right now mm-hmm. it's a fun puzzle that i love like if we want to take the social justice elements out of this, holy shit, Public Enemy get a gold star for turning a real certified knucklehead into somebody that actively engages with media in a way that I never would have. I don't think I ever would have had Chuck D not had a song with my Big Daddy Kane on that song too, and
0: um, yeah, Ice Cube is on it too. Ice Cube,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, like it's a A plus because for all the stuff. The the for all the shower praised on, shuttered think, I mean those folks never encouraged. They never like inspired something that's been a lifelong uh, habit ever since. Right? And, and 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 that's a public enemy, right? You know, and, and it's great in my mind that it comes through music that's not in the genre that I really ever pursued an interest in uh, as a fan. And I, it, it doesn't generally resonate with me. And it was a very powerful force for me and also helped me to make sense of the fact that I think it also helped prime me to be um, more open and honest about race in America because mm-hmm. this, it, it provided context. My dad provided the context. I never actually right. had a conversation with my dad about it, but I was smart enough as knucklehead as knucklehead-y as I am. I was smart enough to realize like whatever nonsense my dad is talking about sounds fucking crazy. And I would understand why this side of the aisle would be really angry at him for all the stuff that I get to hear uh, on a regular basis. So it was, uh, uh, it was for me when I was like 13 and heard that it was a, a, the right time and the right, um, and the right media for it.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I agree. And you had, you know, I, I realized, uh, through our friendship that you had a very visceral, um, example of what, of what, or the reason that records like this were, were made, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, again, I, I'm not, don't really, want to comment on you know any of the any of the other things i do think there there are some differences because at the detractors you know and they, this one has a lot of uh, you know just interwoven sound and interstitials and things like that and clip yeah. like clips from media and um there's a lot of um resistance because of you know oh what, why why is it so angry why are they so angry um right. And I'm sure that there are people that. You know I don't know if we've mentioned if it was on this podcast or maybe the other one uh, where we're talking about the the Woodstock '99 documentary and just the that the buildup of that you know angry angry young
2: mm-hmm.
0: male rage.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: but I think that the difference with that is because there is there was nothing you know one it's not it's that wasn't written in response to you know harm and atrocities um it right. was just like this misplaced vague you know i i'm not happy with i got to be mad at yeah. something
1: i feel like i'm a victim i'm a victim for some reason i don't know why but i feel mm-hmm. like a victim so let me rage
0: right um but no this uh like i just to echo another one of your points um to kind of tie this all together is you're right. I mean it really did kind of make me think or at least put some thoughts into my head and there was uh I guess that was it that you were the year before this came out you know kind of the the um inspiration if you will uh for uh burn hollywood burn was because uh you know like do the right thing was kind of snubbed yeah. at the Oscars yeah. For yeah. I forget which movie won instead, but it, oh, it was Driving Miss Daisy, and that you know that Jesus Christ, that, I didn't,
1: I did not know that. Well, I, knew I the, didn't. Okay, I knew do the right thing. Do the right thing didn't get the Oscar. I didn't realize that That's why, and that also explains why Driving Miss Daisy is referenced in Burn Hollywood Burn. I, yeah. I get it now.
0: Well, and with that, without that, like kind of foundation, um, I I realized like I wouldn't have been as upset with green book as i was you know which (laughs) is fairly recent yeah and absolutely and understanding why why i was angry you know talking about fits of rage um (laughs) while watching it i actually saw it in the theater and i think you and i have talked about this before not not publicly you know like on a podcast but there were if you haven't if you haven't seen it it's it's a, a white savior movie um you know, the performances are are great. I mean, Vigo Mortensen, um, Marshal Ali, but uh, Vigo Mortensen's character was this, you know, Italian rough around the edges person who takes a job uh, with a, you know, driving a person around, um, a black person, a musician, and, you know, through the their journey, they learn, he learns that, you know, their differences are, you know, that kind of, that kind of shit. But he made some pretty, um, pretty like profound slurs about some things. And the audience's <laughs> reaction was to laugh as if it was a comedy mm. that he said he was making fun of uh, Mahershala Ali's character for not knowing enough about fried chicken, for example. Gotcha. And the audience, which was it was like a matinee, so it was a Tuesday afternoon, uh, was mostly older <laughs> white people. Fucking hilarious! Like, oh my gosh, yeah. that is so funny. And that's the kind of relationship
1: I want with the one that I end up talking to someday.
0: I remember, like, I kept I looking want to back be able at to the, make
1: those jokes, and they think it's funny.
0: I kept looking back at the audience, and then uh, like I caught another person that was sitting in the row that I was sitting in, and. We both had this moment of like, why the fuck are these people laughing at this? Like, this is not mm-hmm. funny. And oh, like that, that was a very, um, yeah, that's a very yeah. uh, rough, I mean, you know, relatively speaking for me, um,
2: it is I a mean, rough it's... way
0: to watch. But, you know, again, it's records like this that I think really, you know, when, when I think about how, I was able to be on the path when a lot of my uh, the path that I'm on right now and a lot of my family members, close family members and friends kind of went a different way. And, yeah. uh, you know, of course, it's not, oh, it's because I listened to to fear of a Black planet, but it, right. it kind of is.
1: Uh, it, whenever we get a piece of information in our brain, uh, it has an effect on us. And this was wildly different take on American society than you or I ever really needed to bother thinking about because we were, we were so far removed from that in El Paso. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's such a, such a hard, it was hard to understand the way um, race affected people everywhere. When we lived in El Paso, there was obviously racism. um, Mm -hmm. And I mean, uh, every I knew plenty of uh, Mexican families that did not like black people.
2: No, yeah. But no, no, no. it's
1: a different, that's a different kind of, t- there's a different tone to it than say that white, angry, uh, uh, male, gay, uh, gays, a white, angry, male um, manifestation is. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, we just don't, we, the town was so very, very Mexican that we didn't really get a glimpse of that very much. And uh, it's just, such an extent that i remember when i moved up here um i was talking to somebody who's from baltimore and i, I the subject of race came up mm-hmm. and this was 2002 i guess and uh i had not seen the wire at all and i i don't remember what the are su- like the context why the subject of race came up but i and somehow comes out for me saying i mean but you guys don't you guys all just get along out there? You guys like each other, right? The black people and the white people. Isn't it a Southern thing? Yeah. Isn't that something that happens in like, you know, Atlanta? And the guy mm-hmm. laughed at me. It was so had no idea from from, um, from El Paso really to Seattle. I, I really had no idea how the rest of the world worked. And um, certainly the rest of the country will say, like for the sake of this conversation. Mm-hmm. So when you got those little pieces of media that are hinting at that, when you don't have the context and you kind of have to piece it together, um, I think it like reinforces the importance of this message. Um, I mean, The messages within Fear of a Black Planet, I think the importance was highlighted by our brain because there's clearly more happening in the world than is right in front of me. And I think that's a really wonderful human reaction to new information. To log, log in this information that you're getting from this record, that you could have ignored, you could have heard it and not cared, but you heard it. And it, there was something interesting here. And it hinted to a broader story on the rest of the world that you don't necessarily know about, but, but are intrigued by and interested in. And, and I think that that kind of curiosity is what gets people like you and me to a position where we're at now right. where we realize, yeah, this has been a big fucking nightmare for a long time. And right. We didn't have to, we didn't have to worry about it before. And now we do. Right. Sorry, another rant there, but yeah. I, I'm glad. I'm glad that I'm glad that we both this record when we did, and I'm glad that it had a an impact on us. So at least we're less a part of the problem than we could have been.
2: <laughs>
1: we haven't made the world a good place, no. single handedly. But I think we could have made it worse if we had um, uh, taken part in that that kind of hatred and not looked at what the Black community in America has had to cope with since the get-go.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, welcome back. Uh, Just to kind of tie our our proverbial ribbon. Is it a proverbial? There's no... Mm -hmm. Is that the proverb of uh the, of, the of Robert, Jesus with the there uh, I don't know some some kind of fish and the ribbon and I don't know some shit sure.
1: Sure. there's a whole book of them
0: <laughs> um but uh just yeah obviously you know we always recommend listening to our uh to our featured record and and uh I, you know I of course I encourage you to to give this one a chance I, I know there are people out there that uh, that like you said uh, Hip hop rap may not be your cup of tea, um, and uh, I say at least you know give give a couple of uh, give a couple of the tracks a try, uh, just to um, just to experience the, the kind of you know we we didn't talk much about it, but just like the sound and and all that other stuff and just uh, yeah. the energy behind it, uh, but the um, yeah fantastic fantastic only-
1: production. Uh, that wall of noise that wall of sound yeah. you'll feel it it's it's continuous across the almost the entire record and it feels like a the continuity there is appreciated it feels like it's taking you on a complete journey
0: mm-hmm. uh, so the only let's see recommendations uh the only one that i have uh is and we, you kind of touched on it a little bit so it's it's cool that we i mean you know it, it's the situation of why we need to talk about it is not is not cool but um, I saw the um, um, Kama Bell's documentary on uh, Bill Cosby that we need to talk about Cosby
2: mm-hmm.
0: and saw on Showtime and it's four parts and I, I thought it was really really interesting how just how it produced and how it sort of built up the not just the history of bill cosby as an entertainer but you know it 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 didn't separate but it um it disassembled the various parts of him as an entertainer Mm -hmm. as a comic and you know how he contributed to this how he contributed to a positive portrayal of um of black actors and and um you know all of that uh, and the, what he did for the industry and yeah. comedy but also it brought out all of the other parts of him that were problematic obviously the sexual assaults but in addition to just this turn that he had where he started um, kind of turning on being a, a, a curmudgeon against especially uh, younger black comics and I remember uh, they they mentioned specifically the the uh, the Eddie Murphy bit that you and I used to giggle at, um, yeah. where you know he does the whole the whole phone call and basically told yep. him not to curse, and then he talked about you know calling Richard Pryor after that and, <laughs> and his response yeah. was. I remember that. Um, but anyway, I mean, you know, ultimately, it's not it's not a in defense of, or, you know, what a, what a great person he was. And, uh, it, it really is a, an, a holistic
1: view of him as a person.
0: Yeah. But just told through how different people knew him and then what, how they either reconciled, well, how they reconcile that with their own, you know, with their own emotional needs and feelings, as us all this other you know stuff was happening. So, yeah. Um, if you want to, part of like the bigger picture really is just you know you and I spend a lot of times talking about things, uh, but obviously we're not we're not the affected um, those that are most affected or harmed sure. by this, and it's easy for us to get into arguments with others you know, saying, well, it's, it's not this, it's that, or, you know, you, you shouldn't be offended at this, but this is a great way to just listen to how it affects different people and be yeah. able to form your opinion that way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I will check that out. Thanks for, thank you for the recommendation. Um, I don't know that I would have, I don't know that I would have been open to hearing more about Bill Cosby. Um, but I, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a whirl. You sold me.
0: Um, other than that, I, uh, I don't know what else is really going on. I have that Showtime subscription that auto-renewed because I forgot to cancel the trial. So <laughs> um, so I'll have to find something else to watch on there. I think there's some other like documentaries and stuff on there.
1: There's, there's plenty of good material on Showtime. It's all blanking. I'm blanking right now. Uh, (laughs) i'm sure i'll text you later
0: well i know like dexter's on there right like people always talk i've never seen a single episode of dexter
1: that's fine i mean i i was tired of it eventually at first i thought it was really interesting and then it just sort of continued and escalated further and further It just Mm. wore me down um there's a ah, there's a series about stand-up comics in the 70s in la oh my god on showtime it's really good and i cannot remember the name john daly's in that
0: oh i think i started watching that
1: yeah i if i had half a brain i'd be looking it up right now so that i at least pull it together but no i'm gonna i'm gonna go out uh i'm gonna go out raw on this and say i don't remember the name but it's fantastic (laughs) (laughs) oh
0: thank you so much for joining me uh for another episode and and yet another week and another hour-ish of your time. I really do appreciate, John. Absolutely. Happy to. Okay. Goodbye. <laughs> 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 <I was> like, <laughs> it's Like, are we on the phone in a movie? <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Fairweather Friends. Don't forget to click subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Feel free to connect with us by leaving us a voice message at anchor.fm slash fairweatherfriends. Also, you can connect with us on social media.